we can predict if somebody's going to be happy, fulfilled, and thrive in their job based on who they innately are and their talents. So for example, I'm very high in innovation. My number one talent is embracing diversity. That doesn't necessarily mean DEI, although that's true in my case. What it really means is do I care about people? And it's it's measurable. to another episode of Reaching Your Goals. Reaching Your Goals is hopefully your favorite career podcast where you get the insights to go from motion into action and make things happen. I'm your host, Johanna Herbst. I'm a certified executive and career coach and a management consultant with an MBA from NYU Stern School of Business. My mission is to inspire you to reach your goals, lead with kindness and have some fun along the way. To kick off season two, I figured we should take a look in the future and see what to expect in regards to HR tech. For that intriguing topic, I have a wonderful guest. It's Jason Putnam. Jason is an award-winning chief revenue officer at Plum, where they leverage the power of psychometric data to revolutionize how talent decisions are made. Before joining Plum in 2021, Jason served as Senior Vice President and General Manager for the Enterprise Business Unit of Pandologic and as Chief Revenue Officer at Bounty Jobs, to name just a few of his previous roles. Jason is passionate about delivering value to customers, partners and stakeholders and creating positive impact through innovation and collaboration. Jason is based in Austin, Texas in the US. Before we get started, I need to quickly ask you for a favor. Today, we are kicking off season two and I believe that is reason enough to spread the word about this show with at least one of your friends. And Thank you so much for supporting me. Your support means the world to me. And now let's jump in. Jason, it's great to see you again. How are you doing this morning? I am excellent. So great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And to get things started, I would like to start with rapid fire questions. Sure. Perfect. In your part of the world, it's 7 a.m. I feel it's a given that you are an early bird, but what is your secret to make this work? I have spent a lot of my life not having a great work-life balance, right? Because I'm very driven and we call ourselves catalysts because we go really fast. And over the last, I don't know, eight to 10 years, kids do that to you. I've built a process where I try to make sure I carve out time for myself, where I carve out time for my family, specifically for my wife, specifically for each one of my daughters, and then just make sure I have, you know, I put that balance in. Unfortunately, when all that's true, you have to figure out where that time is going to work. So I get up every day at five o'clock and make sure I have kind of two two hours to myself. So that could be you know, whatever your flavor is, be it prayer, meditation, whatever. It could be consuming yeah. content, could be working out. So I put a gym in my house, so I work out every morning. I also consume oh, nice. content, consume content when I do that. So that gives me time to myself. And then by the time everyone else is up in the house, I'm ready and I can give them some time to get ready for school or whatever it may be. Wow. And you are American and now you're working for a Canadian company. Have you already adopted anything typical Canadian? 
it's funny. I'm trying. There's an interesting mix where I'm trying to have them adopt some of the American tendencies, right? Canadians ah. are, but Canadians tend to have a, a culture of perfection, which in the startup world is uh, is hard to do. So we're trying to we're trying to be able to say it's okay to make some mistakes, but fail fast and go quick and change if you have to change. There, there's a bit of Canadian vernacular that I have picked up over time, like. Every now and then I say sorry, just like the Canadians do, but that's probably that's probably the biggest part. And what do you need to be at your best? Me personally, I need focus. I need to be able to quickly assess the problem that I'm trying to solve and ultimately the opportunity that comes from solving that and understanding the outcomes that are associated with that so I can make those decisions quickly. And then I always bear down on... What are, the, what are all the possible outcomes that could be true if this decision is made? And when you have been doing this for a long time, I'm not young, what you, what you find out is there's really only three or four potential outcomes, and then you just weigh those. So when I'm making kind of any decision, you know, buying a pair of shoes to you know, going to take a job to hiring somebody, it's like, what are the potential outcomes that are going to be there if I do this, don't do this, or do something in between? And for me, being able to do that quickly allows me to be at my best and make those decisions, the, the best possible decision I can make and make those quickly. And say, who is one of your role models? Funny enough, my wife's a huge role model for me. We've been together 21 years, and we are the exact wow. opposite human, the exact opposite human beings. And that uh, getting married later in life, you know, you're already kind of set in your ways as, as human beings, and we both were. But being able to learn, because we're so opposite, being able to learn some of those things that got her where she was and how she gets through every day. I've adopted some of those. She's adopted some of mine. My dad's a huge role model. We grew up in, a, in a, the opposite of affluent, but he put a lot of onus on two things. Number one was work ethic, which I've adopted uh, wholeheartedly. And then number two was humor. So uh, I'm not inherently a funny person, but I can now see the humor in a lot of things and even in the bad things. So for me, that's, that, that combination of the two things has been very helpful for me. And you just mentioned your wife and your dad. How would they describe you in just one word? It's mm, a good one. I don't know if the, the word I'm going to use my, that my wife would describe me, which she would think would be positive or negative, but uh, dedicated would be and committed would be the, those words. Uh, you know, over the years, it has gotten more dedicated and committed to you know both family and career, but early on, it was probably the latter more than the former. So yeah. that, that has changed. I would say my father would say the same thing. Uh, I really care about people and I care about driving people to to relationships that are going to impact them and their family and the people around them. So my level of, of kind of dedication and commitment has actually been to people more than career. But a lot of those people have been you know, people I work with, people I work for, people who report to me. So that level of, of commitment to those people is probably what I would say. Wow. Looking at leaders, what is one quality that is just a must? Consistency. Yeah, it's doing the same thing over and over. Uh, the best boss I ever had was very early on in my, I'll tell you a little longer story because I think it matters of why I say that. And he was probably the least nice person I've ever met in my life. But he was the same way with every single person in the company. So you knew what you were going to get every single day. And I remember later on not working for him and working somewhere else. And we had a conversation about it where he was different person when you didn't work for him. And he was like, that's, I want to be the same person every day. I want everyone to know it. And you never walked into my office unsure of the answer you were going to get based on the question. Now, for me, I believe consistency is the most important thing for myself as well. I'm on the other end of that spectrum, but consistency. And I think that's true, not just 
in leadership, I think it's true in relationships and family and friends, just be the same person and try not to, you know, try not to surprise people with the outcomes that you're going to deliver to them. What is the best advice you've been given in your personal or in your professional life? I put people first, like understand that the, what you're doing is just not only about you, but it's about others. And that if you, if you truly put other people first, good things are going to happen to you and to the, and to those that you care about. So for me, that's how I, it's not always been that way. Like, you know, again, having worked 30 years or more, it's, it's lessons that you learn over time. And last question for the rapid fire. What is one thing we cannot Google about you? Oh, one thing you could not Google. There's probably a lot. That's a fantastic question. <laughs> um, I'm a big sci-fi geek. I'm sure you could probably Google that. And you're, you're looking at me live where I have all this crazy like sci-fi stuff behind me in my office. Yes, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> so for those who are listening, like I have Star Wars helmets and Iron Man helmets behind me. Yeah, that's probably it. Like I, it surprises people when they find out. Yeah. Thank you. I love you on bits and pieces, and I'm very curious to find out what are the key milestones that led you to where you are today. I started working very, very early. Again, non-affluent family, so I was working for. I think I've passed uh, past time where I can get in trouble with the IRS. So I, pro I started working under the table, like for cash, at like 13. Right. So that learning that and I worked for an immigrant family. So learning just that work ethic from them and, and how they they supported each other at work as a family was was a huge milestone for me. And then that kind of allowed me to get kicked off in my career early, because by the time I hit the workforce, I had already had a lot of experience, which was which was really good for me. And as somebody who always wanted to drive change, that was important to me. So I sought out people and, and roles where I felt like my skill set even though it wasn't fully developed, could do that. So I changed careers a few times and would take steps back in that to then learn a particular thing. So I was in management roles. And then when I got into technology, I took a step back to, to understand how that role needs to be as an individual contributor. Uh, and then I just started having conversations for people. So I think that the biggest milestone for me was any company I went into, I had this, this intellectual disposition where I... I really just wanted to understand everything about it. So if you were somebody who was a delivery driver, I would take them out to lunch and understand their job. If you were the CEO, I wanted to understand that job. So for me, just, just that drive for knowledge was critical. And then that led to different things. So when I then was got into bigger roles, I could go in and say, I understand how that particular role works, or I understand how that particular role works. And that allowed me to kind of scale title-wise and responsibility-wise within each industry and each role that I went into. And then as I got into HR tech, which I've been in for three companies in a row, you know, at the highest level, understanding the industry has allowed me to build relationships and be an advisor in that industry. So now I'm getting that same level of conversation support from not just my inner circle, but people around me. So where I used to go to mentors and leaders and influencers, I've now become one of those. So I can now give that back to others. So that has led to you know, not only the, the, the roles I have and the success I have, but being an advisor, being on boards now, being an investor now in other companies in our industry. And you know, I want to give back to be able to do that. There's been significant milestones. Uh, those aren't the ones that I care about that much, funny enough. Like I... I have trophies behind me for selling companies. I have trophies behind me for awards. I won two Global Executive of the Year awards. Uh, I care more about the impact that it's going to have on kind of the humans around me than those awards. Don't get me wrong. 
like I like getting the awards and the trophies and, and financial benefits that come along with that. But my, my kind of mantra that I've built in my life is I care much more about what people are going to say at my eulogy than what my bank account or my resume says. Because of that, my bank account and my resume are very good. And that's, that's the milestone I care about. I care about the milestone when I'm gone, not necessarily the milestones along the way. Thank you for sharing. And I hear a lot of curiosity and this drive for learning in your story. What keeps that, like this need alive? I'll give you two answers. So number one, The company I work for uses psychometric data. You can actually measure that. Um, there, there's, I could get into the science, but essentially some people are curious and some people are not. And some people are curious for learning and some people are curious for experiences. And that is measured on like a zero to a hundred scale. So for experiences and learning, like you could be a, you know, a two out of a hundred. And that, you know, that's not somebody who's going to go, oh, I want to learn astrophysics because I've never, I just had this drive to learn it. Mine are almost a hundred in both of those. So it is something you are born with to be able to do that. And the way I feed it partially is the ability to do two things at once. So like when I work out every day, I make sure I'm listening to at least an hour or an hour and a half of content every day. And that could be a multitude of things. It could be about my industry. It could be about people in my world. It could be about astrophysics. You know, it could, it could be anything. It could be, be fiction. this podcast, anything. It could be anything. I always find something new. And for me, that's, that's like a drug finding something new and learning something new. And the reason why I'm asking that is because what I sometimes believe is also happening, that some people, they hit their 30s and they are like, oh, now I'm in my job, I feel comfortable. And this urge to learn more is just declining. So really kudos to you that you are keeping it up and that you are still going for it. I really admire that. Yeah, so thank you. If, if you can kind of put yourself in a position, again, this, this is measurable scientifically, You can't turn it off. Just like if you're, you can measure if somebody's innovative, um, you can't turn off that innovation. Like you can't, I can't wait. I'm very high in innovation. I can't wake up tomorrow and go, I don't feel like innovating today. And then you're driven to roles and you're fulfilled in roles where you get to naturally do those things. So that curiosity that I have, that innovation that I have, that's why I go into companies to either scale them or turn them around. And that's, to me, that's, that is what keeps me engaged at companies. If it was the same thing every single day and I was just maintaining a business, that innovation, that curiosity wouldn't, um, wouldn't be fulfilled. So I would be bored and then I would go to like inherently that's where you go. Whereas somebody who's low in that, you know, they're going to go, they're going to go work for a very large company where you know, their level of responsibility, they don't have to learn new things. And for me, I don't want to kind of be an NPC at a company. I want to go in and change versus I'm going to go work, do my job, close my laptop and never think about work at night or, or during the weekend. Nothing wrong with that. That's just not how I build. As you say, it's like they are in their tendencies on what we prefer and what we actually need to be at our best that drives us. And you mentioned that for you, it's important to think about what you're leaving behind. And that is like so close to what is your purpose? I mean, it's just a different way to ask that question. Would you mind sharing what you want to leave behind? What is your purpose in your professional life? Yeah, I want, I want everyone who I have influenced, I guess is the best way to put it, whether they were peers, people I work for, people around me, those people's families, right? I want, I want them to look back at the time that I've spent with them and that they've spent with me and say they're better off for that. Better off is not always financially, but that is true. Better off could be they've learned new things. Better off could be I convinced them to leave the company that they were at with me and go find a different company to go to. That happened to me recently. And I got a text yesterday, two days ago, 
from the person that the best thing we ever did was get him to leave the company. And he, <laughs> right, his family likes him more. His friends like him more. He's a better dad. He's a better everything. And to me, I just want people to look back, you know, like in my head, there's this, you know, party when I'm gone and everyone's just having these conversations. And to me, that's, that's what I care about. And and I don't do it from a self-serving way. You know, if I can, um, if I can change people's lives for the better, that's all I care about. Yes. It's huge. And even if you can just change one person, like it matters. And now when we were talking about the curiosity and learning, you mentioned that in your company, you can scientifically measure those tendencies, those preferences people have. And in preparation for our interview, I took the test there to get my own profile, to learn something about myself. I'm curious if you could maybe elaborate on what is being measured and why do you guys actually do that? And then maybe we jump in, in your results and my results. I would love I would love to do that because I haven't seen you take it, so I haven't like dissected yours yet. I, really? Fun. I thought you did? Yeah. Okay, okay. No, I intentionally <laughs> didn't do it because I want, I want to do it kind of live because that, that would be fun. So we're a software company, but what... what has historically happened throughout history, or at least modern history since World War II, is you can measure personality. You can measure intelligence. You can measure comp. You can measure, you can assess things. You can assess language. You can assess math. You can assess, can somebody write code? Those are all things. Those are assessment. And the way it's, and there's really two kinds. There's what you measure that people learned, right? Do you know Excel? How well do you know Excel? Do you know a language? How well? And then you measure things that are unlearned. So think of it as personality. So many, many listeners have taken DISC or, or any other type of assessment out there. Ours is very similar. So what we measure is three things. The first one is personality. So based on the big five. The second part that we measure are two kinds of, uh, I'm going to call them intelligence. You have to be careful with the word intelligence because a lot of ways you would assess intelligence discriminate against certain socioeconomic groups because they have language and math. So we measure a thing called fluid intelligence. So there's no language, no math. It's how you solve net new problems which is very important in the workforce. And you probably took it with the puzzles that you saw. And then the third thing yes. we measure is social intelligence. So think of it like EQ, but very scientific. And that is how do you handle people problems? And certainly it's true in the real world, but also in the workplace is how we do it. The difference is we do it all through technology and software. So we don't, we're not reliant on you being a PhD level biopsychologist or the, the hiring manager or the corporation doing that. So we measure that. And our main goal in measuring that is on the other side, you match that to a role and you can't just arbitrarily match it to a role. You have to, you have to assess it on the other side as well, which is pretty interesting. So when you bring those two things together, we can predict if somebody's going to be happy, fulfilled and thrive in their job based on who they innately are and their talents. So for example, I'm very high in innovation. My number one talent is embracing diversity. That doesn't necessarily mean DEI, although that's true in my case. What it really means is, do I care about people? And it's it's measurable. So my previous company, which was a great success story, we I was brought in by the board, we scaled it, we sold it for a whole lot of money. But innately, the process that we had was it, there was no innovation because we were you know, scaling to exit, and we did not. I'll leave it this way: we did not put people first. So as as successful as that was for me in my career, I couldn't leave fast enough. I, I was not as good of a father or husband or whatever that I needed to be or friend. And I was miserable every single day, right? Great story, made a bunch of money, all that's great. I come to Plum, we are measuring who they want to lead their go-to-market strategy and be a senior exec at the company. And out of 100, I was a 95, which means I'm in the upper 
5% of the entire global workforce, 40,000 people a month take this. So when you applied for the job, you also went through their own process. So you took yes. the test and they were matching it. And did you also send a resume or you guys skipped that? I didn't apply for the job and I did not send a resume. I met our CEO at an industry dinner and within three I hours... I had accepted a board seat. Yeah, so I'd accepted a board seat. I had seven offers, and she just kept trying to convince me to come work for this small company that I'd never heard of. And within a couple of weeks, I had said no to all the offers, and I came to work. But during that process, I took, I built my problem profile, took the assessment, and I ended up being a 95. Because what they needed, number one, was embracing diversity. That's their culture. And when you're selling to yeah. people in HR, they care about people. So that's a very resonant skill. And then innovation was, was a huge one for me. Now, the way companies use this is really interesting. They use it on every single hire. So there are huge companies like Citibank, Whirlpool, Manulife, which is John Hancock in the US. They use it to on the application side to match people because they want people to be happy, fulfilled, and thrive. And the outcomes of that are people stay longer. Their quality of hire is almost up like 93%. The diversity is huge. All that thing's really big. But they also use it on every employee because they then match those same skills for internal mobility, succession planning, leadership potential, all those things. This impact on diversity, because now when you match the skills, I guess, might not show what is their name so that you know where is the person from or the gender or the age. You just match personality and skills-wise. Is that a good mm -hmm. fit, right? Yeah. So being in this industry a long time, what's broken in the industry is who gets to the interview. It's actually not who exactly. gets to the It's who gets to the interview. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's no one's fault. So what happens is, let's say you're a company who posts a job. You get 100 applicants. It's very hard to go through 100 resumes. But, and, and science says if you just hire based on that process, you'll get it right 10% of the time and wrong 90% of the time. So what you do as a company, everybody does, is you, you build people, process, and technology to get a subset of that 100, sometimes thousands, to a structured interview. Because the math, once somebody gets to a structured interview, the efficacy of that decision is 40%. So it's significantly higher. But because you have people, product, and technology, you have to have ways to screen people out, right? How long have you done your job? Where do you live? Where did you go to school? How long did you go to school? So what happens is you screen people out who should actually be screened in, right? So the hiring manager may say, I need 10 years experience, but Susie has nine and a half, so she inherently got screened out. So the way our clients use that is they put Plum first, they sort based on their match score. So if Susie was a 95, she would have been surfaced towards the top. And then a hiring manager or whoever is doing that could look at that and go, she only has nine and a half years experience. Great. Or if your name was Jerome and not Jason, like me, you're at a six-year career disadvantage. So just being able to sort based on those skills that are going to make them successful in the organization, they start from the top and work their way down. So the person who on paper may be a great fit, he's got 10 years experience, but if he was a 45, yeah. he's not going to be great. He can do the job. That's not saying he can't. He may have the eligibility and have all the skills. But just like me at my previous company, if you're putting him in a position where he's not going to use his skills every day that come naturally to him, and you're putting stuff on him, let's say that person was very low in execution or teamwork, and you're putting him in environments where that's going to be the majority of their job, they're going to burn out very quickly, and they're going to leave. Exactly, because I guess we need to assume that people want to do a good job. So if they are happy in their role and it's working for them, they will perform better, they will stay, as you say. It's really like win-win. In that equation, is there any party that is losing? Great question. There's not, because the way it works is, again, we'll use Susie. Susie comes in and she's a 45 match. She can be matched to every other role at the company too, instantly. So she may apply for financial analyst role and she's a 45, but maybe for commercial banking, she's a 95. 
So there's, re- there's really nobody losing because ultimately who you say no to is just important as who you say yes to. And when you look at what people want now, kind of in this purpose-driven labor market, what's, what's really changed in the industry, it's going to be a long answer to your question, I'm sorry, but I think it's important for people to understand. The old days, like me being an old person, we went to work because what made us happy was we got a paycheck and we came home and took care of our family. We probably had two drinks before we talked to our family because we were miserable at work, but our happiness was, yeah, I have a paycheck. That has completely been flipped on its head. When you look at what people care about today, they want pay and benefits, but it's not only about pay and benefits. They want stability, which is really interesting because that's not what people think people want. They want professional development. They want a positive employer brand and they want flexibility. But a big thing that they want is they want a role in which they can do their best. People want to drive an impact. Happy employees stay four times longer in their job. The impact of the cost of that is huge. Happy employees commit twice as much to their task. Right? We've heard about quiet quitting. This is the opposite of quiet quitting, right? If you're happy in your job. Company with highly engaged employees have 21% higher profitability. Right? The filled employees stay three times longer. They experience less burnout. They're 322% more productive. So matching all that on the front end and then pulling that through has huge financial impacts on a business. So does that mean in the future, at some point, it will be like that you complete a profile and then as a company, you're like, oh, you'd be a perfect match in this group. And we're looking for somebody. You are 95 here. Could that be an option for you? So the person is applying, but doesn't know exactly for what. Just this company could be it. It happens today already. So Scotiabank, huge bank, huge bank out of Canada, they use it broadly, but specifically in their campus recruiting, it's a really interesting story. They've eliminated resumes. So if you're a recent grad or entry level, no resumes, you actually apply with, with Plum, which is our company. You're instantly matched to 16 different jobs. You apply to be you know, a financial analyst, but I, and maybe you're 45, or maybe they hired somebody else and you were the silver medalist. They can then match you the job. More, not as importantly, maybe not more importantly, it works the other way around too. So a job gets created internally because all the employees have one as well. They can look at it before they go post a job to say, is there anybody internally who's a good fit for this job? The traditional linear path of you're a BDR, then you go to a salesperson, then you're a sales manager. That, that's kind of been blown up recently you know, in a post-pandemic world. So what's happening now is people are taking lateral, lateral moves within their career and because they are now being seen for roles that they can do and be upskilled in, people are staying much longer. Oh, I love that. As I said, I took the test as well. And I want to share with you what I got. And my top three, it's the communication, teamwork and innovation. When I was reading through it, I felt like, yeah, yeah, that sounds like me. So it was confirming that I'm on the right path. That doesn't surprise Yeah, um, When you look at the experience, so as a candidate, people don't like, inherently don't like to be assessed or they don't like to take assessments because the experience is not great and you don't get something in return. It's a bit of a black hole. If you were an applicant to one of our clients, you would get those results too. So that experience is good and, and the accuracy of it is insane. Like people who are posting on LinkedIn, the results are like, I didn't think you could find this out about me, you know, this quick. And there's some underlying things. We can actually look at leadership potential and some other things that are hardly weaved into what you already, what you already completed. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me. So communication, look at what you're doing. Right. And you probably love doing this. Yes. I talk all day long. <laughs> I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a, an assumptive statement here. I think if you could do this all day long and have multiple people and just talk to them, you would love it. And part of the innovation is you're curious. You want to hear people's stories that all make sense. So mine are racing diversity. 
which was number one. All that means is I give a crap about people. Like that's innately what it is. It's not Uh, such a bad thing. (laughs) No, it's not. And number two is innovation. And then for me, number three is a combination. They're right on the cusp of persuasion and communication. So we are similar to some degree. When I took the test, I was wondering, what do I get as an outcome? And I actually was expecting something like, oh, those are the skills you could work as a photographer, as a gardener, whatever, like something very concrete. That's kind of like what I had in mind. So when I now get those results and I say, okay, I might be good in diversity, innovation, persuasion. So what shall I do with that information? It's a, it's a great question. So not to get too scientific, you, you are who you are and that won't change, right? At once you're 22 or older, it's very stable. So let's say, let's say execution was your lowest. I don't know what your lowest was out of the 10. That doesn't mean you can't execute. That just means you're going to put teamwork over that. So because your teamwork is so, and by the way, my teamwork's my lowest. I've had to build coping mechanisms over the years, especially as, over the years as an executive to go, well, if I don't do teamwork, my team's not going to like me, right? And the reason that's important is you are who you are. What you match that to from a job is very different. And there's a lot of a lot of companies out there that will say, based on your profile, you should be in sales or you should be a gardener. You cannot, there is no scientific backing of that because the job that you're going into changes. And salesperson at this company versus salesperson at this company are vastly different based on culture, leadership, where they're doing what they're selling, right? So the important part is when, when you're matched to something, it has to be job relevant. I know innately good salespeople are good in some or have tendencies and traits in in some of these areas, but not all good salespeople are that way. We never want to get into a point where we go, hey, you should go do this. Like my history is a great example. My last company, I'm doing the exact same job that I'm doing today. I'm just as busy, right? It's the exact, literally the exact same job. My resume was perfect for both because it's what I've done. Yet my experience and my outcomes personally are vastly different because I was such a high match for this particular role, but I would be a, potentially a very low match for another company, even though it's the exact same role. I mean, that is also then the match really in terms of what are your values, what are the company values, and is there an overlap? Because if, say, team value is high and I go to a company where everybody is just fighting individually and there's just this, like in German, we call it that this elbow culture is not working. Yep. And it, cha- it changes. So here, here's what's interesting. Skills have a shelf life now. Hard skills have a shelf life. And it's never been a shorter shelf life than it is today. So if you think of software developers, five years ago, we couldn't get enough Ruby on Rails developers. Nobody cares about it now, right? So those skills degrade and, and, and the shelf life of those skills is getting, is getting way smaller So from a, from a period of time. So you're going to be left to where the only thing that kind of matters is those transferable skills, like who you are as a person. So for me, that's, that's kind of the future because almost anything else can be trained. Now, some people have an aptitude to, to learn it faster. Some companies are better doing it. But the, the story I want to tell is interesting because they change so quickly. So when I came to Plum, I, and I have permission to tell this story, I inherited a team. And my predecessor built his whole criteria for where the company was who he was looking for, who he thought was right. And he had multiple inputs. You can't just do it with one person's input. So one of the reps I inherited, uh, his lowest talent is execution. His highest is communication. When I came in, I rebuilt those matches with others. And my number one thing I wanted in people was execution. And it's his lowest, right? Because we're different leaders and my expectations are different. And the company was changing. And there's a lot of things that were changing. And it changed overnight. So I was able... 
you got to change overnight, right? You have a new leader, the company's in a different position. So that's why you can't just innately match people uh, or inherently match people to things. So what's really great about what we do from our product is he pulled me aside. He reports to me two weeks after I started and he said, let's have a conversation. I know you love execution. It's my lowest. Here's all the things I've done in my career for coping mechanisms. Think of them as cheat codes to make sure I'm, I can do execution and I won't let you down with execution. However, it's not going to be my go-to thing. I'm always going to want to talk through something versus, you know, go and do the work. He then gave me permission. He's like, here's how far you can go beating me up, micromanaging me with execution before, before I say stop. And that's where a lot of people hate micromanagement is they, because you, you don't know the data on the people, you leaders tend to micromanage people in things that they're innately good at. So he's giving me permission to micromanage him here. On the other side, I could go put him in front of the CEO of Coca-Cola tomorrow and I would have no concerns because of his communication so high. If we wouldn't have had that conversation, he would not have been at the company two weeks later, I guarantee it, right? Because like my go-to thing is I'm going to hand you something, go do it. So now when we have calls and conversations, I just say, hey, here's the five things you need to do right after this. And he doesn't get upset and I don't get upset. And it's a, it's a, he's our top producer and he has been since I've been here. I love that transparency and I hear a lot of trust in that story. So that is sure. that is a good place to be in. And you also just mentioned the future of work. What is one thing that our audience can do today to really get ready for that future? How do we prepare for that? Future is already here. So pre-COVID, pre-COVID, <laughs> the world changed overnight. I could tell you where we are today, I thought would take 30 years. What changed overnight was the pandemic. So I'm going to tell people, first of all, why it is, and then maybe potentially what you can do. So if you think about what happened overnight, we had a, we had a supply chain disruption. So think about it just like manufacturing. It used to be that if I wanted to work for Coca-Cola, I had to move to Atlanta. Or if I wanted to work for Dell, I moved to Austin, Texas, or wherever. That just, and the reason was that's where the jobs were. So the companies had control of geography. And if I grew up in a very small town either went to work for the two factories there or the two fast food places there, or I had to leave. And to me, it's very similar to like this. I tell the story all the time. I'm going to use you. You and I grew up in the same small village in the Alps, right? And we're, we're both 16 and we're the only two single people there. <laughs> regardless of what I look like, regardless of what I look like, we're getting married, right? There's no other choices. And, you know, I'm a hunchback with no teeth and you're beautiful. Like we're getting married. That's the way it works. And because geography was a constraint, then you had horse and buggies. So now you had three or four more options. Jason didn't look quite as good as he used to. And like, look at that from today. Like you can theoretically date anyone anywhere. That's what's happened to the job, to the job world and the demand, the supply and demand with that. So companies lost, I hate to call it power, but they lost that constraint of geography because most jobs now can be done from anywhere. So companies have built their entire process around geography, and they've also built their entire process around being in control. They are no longer in control. At yeah. best, there's equal control between the human and the corporation because your current employees can now have so many more options to go find because ge geography is no longer a constraint, and your applicants now can apply to a job anywhere in the world, theoretically, if they want to. So that's changed overnight, yet a lot of companies are not looking at it through that lens. What I want people to think about is, you're no, as a corporation, you're no longer in control of that. So it used to be a company would look at a candidate or an employee and say, what can that person do for me and my company? That changed overnight. Now yes. applicants are saying, what can that company do for me? And until you change that mindset, you will, you will fail when it comes to hiring people, 
and, and retaining those people. So the one thing you can do today is just start thinking about that part of the equation. Employer brand is incredibly important. Stability is incredibly important. Candidate experience is incredibly important. You are no longer in control if you're a corporation. If you're a human, do whatever you can to, to continue to develop yourself. But in order to develop yourself, you really need to understand yourself better. So what's happening, the outcome of this, not on the corporation side, but on the human side, has been very predictable, and we're seeing it. People are jumping and changing jobs every 90 days, every six months, every year. And then people are like, oh, it's because you know they want $5,000 more. That's actually not why it's happening. People want to be happy, fulfilled, and thrive in their role. So if you go back generationally, you only worked at that factory. It's the only job you had. You didn't have the choice to be happy, fulfilled, and thrive. So you wanted to come home and provide for your family, and that's how you got happiness. Now you have so many options. You don't have to go work at that factory. You can go work anywhere. But the, the, what people are still trying to do is be happy, fulfilled, and thrive. So they go work at a company, and they go, oh, this wasn't what I thought it was. And because they can change in six months, they go to another company. It's just like speed dating. They keep hopping around so they find the right partner. So what I'm also hearing is for individuals is this soul searching, what would make me happy? But it's like what people want to leave behind, like this purpose question. I feel like it's really time for soul searching because then you can actually go and get that. And we can use tools to do those assessments to really get this look in the mirror in a different way to really see what are the things that I'm good at that help me thrive. So I feel like that is one thing to really take time for. Yeah, I I'm agree. with you, like this whole job jumping every six months, I don't think that is anything close to fulfillment. No, because jumping because they can and they're not, the cup's not being filled. They have to bring the people in who are innately going to be put in roles where they're going to be able to do their best. They're going to outperform everyone else and they're going to be happy at the end of the day, which means they're going to stay longer which means they're going to be, the stat I give you, 322% more productive, right? All of that's going to lead to that. And it's got to be this, comp it can't just be the humans doing it. It has to be on the corporation side as well. It has to be. Oh, for sure, for sure. So I think we also, as people, we can demand that. It's like what the young generation is doing already anyway. For sure. Yeah. And I think we also need to create the awareness that all those figures that you've been citing, that that is really driving actual business. Like if you want to make money and you want to succeed and win against competition, this is where you need to go as a corporation. 100%. And the future of work is here now. This is it. And companies were preparing, you know, to maybe have it happen in 20 or 30 years, but COVID sped it all up. And you better, if you're a corporation, you better go fast because those people are going to other companies and leaving yours or they're not coming to work for your, for your company. <laughs> this is so inspiring and time is flying. I'm just to wrap it up on this side. What is one last advice or one outlook looking at HR tech that you can share with us? I'll give you two answers because I think they're from two different perspectives. One is from the, the human lens. And as you get older, you, you kind of miss what's going on with younger generations. The younger generations, like Gen Z, I was just at Nike's corporate campus in Portland uh, two days ago doing a, doing a presentation about, about Gen Z. You, you mentioned it, right? They, they are demanding different things and they understand they have some control and they're not lazy. The reason they are who they are today is they had two pretty distinct things happen in their life. They had a recession and they lost their entire college experience because of COVID. 
They're very good. They're very smart, but they're a little bitter because of that, right? It was taken away from them. So maybe the next generation, the cool thing about this generation is they change every four years, right? Because they're graduate. So if you're in that generation, like it's okay to demand things from, from company, but it's also okay to be professional as well. I think there's this, there's this nonsensical approach from businesses that they're lazy or they job hop. They're not. You're just not speaking their language because you're not capable of it. So it's that combination of the two of, of a company, you better embrace those people because they're, they're the next workforce and they're very good. They're very smart. They're not lazy. You better start speaking their language. And then if you're in that generation, like demand change, I think demanding changes is good and having a voice is good. That doesn't mean you're the smartest person in the room though, right? There's people who are smarter than you and always, always believe that. And that's my, my last advice, you know, just in general for everybody listening is, If you're the smartest person in the room, you need to go find a different room. (laughs) I love it. And I have three more questions for you. What is coming up next for you? It's one of the few times in my life where I'm not itching to go do something else. So I'm very excited with what we're doing. We're scaling very quickly. I believe we're, again, not just driving impacts for the applicants or the employees in the company, but we're driving large impacts. One thing that happened we were on the cover of the Sunday New York Times business section, which as somebody who runs marketing is, is wow. insane. It's insane. And that led to so many good things for us that I don't, I can't be bored. So all I'm really focused on, you know, is, is kind of home life, scaling plumb the way we're doing. I mean, it's exponentially scaling and then doing what I do all the time. I spend a lot of time every week being mentored and mentoring others. So I'm at the point now where I kind of have to say no to some of that, which is like tears my heart out a little bit, but I'm going to try to find a better way to reorganize that so I can do as much of that as, as people need me to do. And the two of us, we met through Bill Clem, who I had on the show, and then I asked him, oh, who else should I have on? He was like, oh, you need to talk to Jason. So my question for you now, who else should I have on? Bill is a wonderful human being, and we became friends yes. through the industry, and, and we certainly have the, the same perspective on things, which is great. I can give you three names that I can think of off the top of my head. If you want three. So one is a woman, her name is Quincy Valencia, and I'll make sure we send it all. So she's really an amazing story. She has done kind of every job in our industry. So was a practitioner, meaning she did the job. She was at a vendor, which means she was a company that sold to practitioners. And now she's an analyst, right? Which means she's talking about both sides and just awesome human being at a, at a very, much, uh, at a very, very large analyst firm. Another name I'll give you is another woman. Her name is Jennifer Rabali. So I met her at my previous company where she ran marketing and I got cheated. So I didn't have to, and she's the best I've ever met. But within three minutes of speaking with her, like our relationship was amazing. I, we joke that she's the sister I never had, two sisters. Like we are great friends to this day and has, is just a testament to hard work and being a good human and driving big outcomes. And you will absolutely love her. She's fantastic. And, and being, you know, a working mom and, and all the things that kind of go in, go into that. And the last one I'll give you is a guy named Roger Dowie. So Roger's an interesting story for me. We found each other when I was turning a company around and we've been together ever since five companies and he's a sales guy and his life story is very interesting um, from where he started to where he ended up in his journey. So when you start talking about success, right, which is the point of this. Like what he has done and some of the things he has overcome and accomplished are just, are just amazing. Like he picked up his family and reload to follow me to Austin. Let's just go. And we did, we reload together, right. With my family and where he is today versus where he started is just, it's super inspiring. Thank you. And for people who feel inspired, how can they stay in touch with you? 
LinkedIn's probably the best way. I don't have a ton of time for any other social media, but like LinkedIn, I'm pretty active on. It's just Jason Putnam and I'm at Plum. You can go to Plum's website. You can take your own assessment if you want to do it. There's no, there's no cost. It's fun. Love to hear from people if you took it and how you feel. That's the best way to stay in touch with me for sure. Perfect. Thank you, Jason. That was so insightful to learn more about HR tech and see that the future is already here. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it so much. enjoyed the episode today if you want to talk about it please tag me a delegate and on another note should you ever feel stuck in your career wonder about your professional purpose or have a very concrete topic you'd like to work on with a coach please drop me an email at johanna.herbstadelegate.com or send me a message via linkedin and i'd be happy to support you with my coaching head on with that We are done for today. We are one step closer to reaching your goals. Talk to you guys next time. Bye.